0: That you know, that's that's a big man on a in a ten for ten, which is killing everybody. That was a heck of a drill. I hated that drill. He also ran a six um, minute mile. Was that part of the program? Yeah, oh, we
1: were gosh. forced to
2: that <laughs> <laughs> way how many years Of your four years, how many years did you have that six minute mile at the beginning of the season? One.
1: (laughs) (laughs) After that, I said, no more. We got to be careful. Jerry Booth (laughs) and
2: myself were the last
3: two players. To run under six-minute mile, <laughs> oh. Everybody else did it like two weeks prior. <laughs> oh. I think it was the day before we started
2: basketball yeah, yeah, practice. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. And coach says, uh, yeah, we're not going to do this
1: anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah. And I think it was Tim McNamara that was, uh, oh, oh, yeah, you guys made it in six minutes. <laughs> six, yeah,
0: yeah. It's, uh, it's 5.59, 5.59. 5.50? So you got the stopwatch <laughs> over here, and you okay, go. And then a minute later, Yeah. All right, here we are. (laughs) Home
4: class. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the season finale of No Place I'd Rather Be, the podcast about St. John's basketball and the legacy of Coach Jim Smith. St. John's basketball season, along with their bid for a fourth straight conference crown, came to an end in Northfield Sunday afternoon with an 86-76 to 76 defeat at the hands of first-seeded Carlton. Now, on to the show. For anyone who knows even a little about the history of SJU basketball, today's guest needs no introduction. But I won't let that stop me. 2,357 career points, which was the mark for most career points at any collegiate level in Minnesota for nearly 40 years and remains the record at St. John's today. 1,093 career rebounds, also a school record. Back-to-back Mayak MVP honors his junior and senior seasons. The only two-time All-American selection in basketball from SJU. And somewhere in all of that evolved from Frankie Alphabet to Mr. Frank, a bona fide Minnesota basketball legend. Here's Frank Wachlerowicz with Coach Smith, Tom Connell, and John Russet.
3: coach smith maybe in my junior year at uh, little falls if not uh, the beginning of the senior year at little falls uh came down numerous times to little falls watched me play and talked to my parents uh talked to me about uh, st john's and going to st john's and Throughout the season we had a very successful campaign at Little Falls. We were 26 and 1 that year, and we won the class A champ or the Class A championship and then the overall championship against Chisholm. And I believe I had maybe 60 to 70 different uh, uh, colleges that recruited me that year and what i really liked the most about jim was he was a down-to-earth person and he said you know what you would probably fit in with our program but i'm not making any guarantees that you're going to be starting your freshman year it's up to you where we had some of these other coaches saying boy you can step right in and we're going to make you our uh, forward or center and you know you're going to be the talk of the town.
2: Yeah, so he, they didn't really kind of have the credibility that he had where you got a sense that he was just being straight up and honest with you and not That's promising what something. I really liked about Jim and
3: during his recruiting process of me going to St. John's. Did you get
2: did you work camps before you went to St. John's? Like I ever in the summer I, as a camp counselor? I had a couple, maybe my senior year I did. So you would have been on campus before. I was
3: on campus and he stuck me on the uh, fourth floor of uh, Bennett and no elevator, about <laughs> 110 <laughs> degrees up there during July. right. And the
1: reason I, I went to so many of your games, I think I rented a room in your house, in your parents' house, so I could be there all the time and be with you. But uh, that was a great recruiting situation because your mother and dad were the greatest people uh, to talk to and talk about down to earth. They were really down to earth. And your sister was a sweetheart. Uh, So it was it was a fun recruiting kind of a deal, a very enjoyable. And the thing I liked about Frank is the guy is so humble and so, you know, humility that he uh, never really talked about himself. But he didn't have to because when he played, he spoke. Pretty loudly.
2: So I was lucky enough to get to know uh, Coach Bauman from camps because I did camps after. Um, you must have had a heck of a team that Little Falls team. It was Brian Silberneck on that team as well. He or was, was it a couple, a couple years younger when okay. I was a senior at Little Falls. But you had a nice run of talent. Yes,
3: through. we did. And uh, in fact, the juniors and sophomores. They had a much better team than what we did when we were seniors. Even though you won a state championship? Even though we won a state championship. I think Little Falls went back three years after we did and uh, never won a state championship.
0: And and is Bauman, is he the second winningest coach in Minnesota history? High school? Uh, After... um, after the guy from St. Charles, right? Or uh, no, the guy from Dumoulin. McDonald. McDonald. Or Chisholm. Chisholm, Chisholm that's yeah. right, McDonald. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Chisholm. Yeah, they would put some amazing teams together back then too.
1: But Al Bauman was, uh, he was a super guy. He was so positive and he was so upbeat. We had him in camp all the time. He was just a great coach. And uh, he's hes a guy who really, you know, I fundamentally, Frank was so sound when he came. Um, and Al did a great job in that program
0: in Little Falls. They were very, very good. What did it look like when you were coming up? I mean, start playing organized at fifth grade or? I think
3: when Al showed up, I was in ninth grade, and I know he went to the ninth grade and maybe eighth and seventh, and then slowly after he got, The elementary kids involved, but um, you know, I remember him coming down and watching me practice, and I was supposed to do some push ups for him, you know, (laughs) and I I only did like nine instead of ten for him. Because, Frank, give me another ten right now, you know. (laughs) 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 And but yeah, Al was a great, great coach.
0: I love hearing you tell your high school stories because I was down in the cities here playing at that same time. I graduated from Hopkins in 75, and uh, we were in the tournament in 74. Uh, the year before. The and year before, you and we We down. should have been there the there, year yeah, there before, you go. There you go.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Wilmer beat us, and they shot like 75% from the field. I mean, everything they threw up went in. And I had two <laughs> balls in the first half, and two minutes into the third quarter, I was sitting on the bench. Oh. And I had scored, I
0: believe, 20 points in the first half. Well, that's why you guys lost if you were on the bench because yeah. Wilmer, Wilmer as a team wasn't wasn't particularly I wonder who was
1: coaching with Shorty Schrader there at that time. I bet you're right. I think I think he was. Yeah. They they've had some very good athletes. They've had some good teams. Did
0: you ever play uh Hibbing? Did you ever play against McHale?
3: Yes I did. Tell let's talk about that a little well, bit. Well, that was uh um I think we played him as a junior, and then when I was a senior, that was our opening match Okay, against Hibbing. Yeah. And I think I scored 19 points, Mikhail, 10. There you go. Straight up and I And I know I hit some key free throws at the end, and I think we won by two or three. Wow. And then we played Cooper. Yeah. Yep. And basically the same story. And then for the double-A championship, we played against Robin Stale. Tom Fix. Tom Fix. Yeah, you bet. Yep. And who was the coach? Oh. Stu um, Starner?
0: Hill. Hill yeah, was him. the coach. Hib Hill. Yep, was that's the coach. right. But Starner was a guard on that team okay yeah you're right you remembered that correctly oh, god they beat they beat us in the region championship that year Robbinsdale did okay yeah
3: one of my kind of favorite recruiting stories is that uh Musselman had sent me a real nice letter and letterhead university of minnesota and it was about three paragraphs and you know We've been watching you, and, you know, we've been keeping your eye on you, and you're probably one of the best uh, high school players in the state of Minnesota, blah, blah, blah. So this was against Detroit Lakes, I believe. We were playing them at home. And Coach Bauman said, hey, not to put any added pressure on you, I just want to tell you there's scouts from the University of Minnesota here to watch you play. I scored 39 points that night. So
0: you're pretty <laughs> rattled by the whole idea, yeah.
3: And I never heard a word oh.
0: after that from the university. Really? Yeah. You know, what, you know what amazes me when guys like you talk about the points you scored in a game back then, and there's no three-pointers. Everything's a two. It's just amazing. You know, you know talking about the recruiting that Musselman – you know, he sent you a letter, and then he never heard another word. Who was the closest uh, school in terms of, if you didn't go to St. John's, what where would it have been?
3: I think it would have been North Dakota with uh, Irv. Inninger. Yep. Yeah. Because I went up there once or twice, I believe. And, yeah, to say, to say the least, Irv was very disappointed in fact, he kind of called me after I agreed to go to St. John's, and he says, "You know, you're making the biggest mistake of your life." You know, blah blah blah. And
0: well, he had gone. Uh, he had just gone up there from Augsburg. Yes. Yeah. 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 He, he was a good man too. He's a very good
1: guy. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's 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 good though. Yeah, he was to say the least. He was very disappointed.
2: So St. John's then also allowed your parents to have an opportunity to see most of your games. Did they attend? I think my mom and dad probably missed
3: maybe four games the whole time I went to St.
1: John's. Wow. They didn't miss many games, I mean, that's for sure. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. They went to Moorhead,
3: all the city games they went to. Uh, the two years we went down to Kansas City for the NAIA tournament. They were there. Um, Wow. Maybe Winona
1: and Jamestown. I would not blame them for not going to Jamestown. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been back to North Dakota since that time. Yeah.
2: This (laughs) is warm out there compared to Jamestown, right? Oh,
1: very, very true.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So what were your impressions when you got to St. John's, when you got to campus, of campus life kind of in general? You know, not only through the basketball
3: camps, but I had three older brothers that went to St. John, Jim and Jeff that were twins, and then my brother Tom. And, uh, you know, I would take along with my mom and dad, and when they would visit Jim and Jeff and Tom. And, uh, uh, you know, just the overall atmosphere and environment at St. John's was just overwhelming, the, the natural beauty of it and uh you know the people at St. John's were just so nice and respectful and you know it was hard to say no to St. John's
2: and a sense of community you know promoted by people like coach Smith right, right. reinforced
3: you know and you know the football program and basketball program and you know the hockey the the golf program, I mean, they were excellent programs run by excellent coaches.
2: In your first experiences, you got to get them uh, run a mile in under six minutes.
0: <laughs>
2: that was one of the requirements
3: that uh, Coach made us. I think that was my sophomore year. And oh, so that
2: wasn't first year. No, okay. that
3: wasn't first year. Um. In fact, it was Terry Booth and myself that finally <clears throat> completed the one mile under six minutes.
1: And Frank, do you know who promoted that kind of idea? It wasn't me. No, I, I hate to say this, but uh, I think Mark Koziak, oh. a couple other guys, guards, said, you know, they came in and they said, what do you guys want to do for a preseason conditioning? And they said, well, let's run a mile. You know, everybody can run a mile under six minutes, and these guys are all... 5'10", 6 feet tall, 150 pounds, easy for them,
0: not easy for big guys to run it in six minutes. You know, it's funny. What strikes me about this is obviously this is indelible. The six-minute mile is an indelible uh, mark in in making that program. So clearly you were threatened at that point, Frank, that you weren't going to make the team if you didn't hit that six-minute mark. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'll, I'll bet. I could tell. I can tell. He it still, it still rattled a little bit. by
1: That's the last time we did it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what were the next ones after that? Were they the 10 and 10? Or Yeah, we did 10 and oh, 10. And
1: yeah. One year we did 15 and 15. Yeah, I think yeah, I was yeah. around for that one. One of the first years when I was there, we ran out to the chapel and back and um, timed them. And again, one guy came back and he sprained his ankle on the way back. That's the last time we did that. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we did creative things, thinking that this would be an incentive for people to get in shape. And because um, we did that at Marquette when I was when I was a player, we ran you know three and a half miles uh, to try and get a good base of conditioning.
3: And I don't think Jim realizes, but I used to run maybe three times a week out to the chapel on back with the basketball. Okay. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. And I remember one time I stumbled on a root and I cut my hand open. You know, the skin and everything else and it was so tough to heal because you're always bending you right. know this part of your hand in.
1: But <laughs> yeah, that's when you <laughs> developed your left service. hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So what were your the biggest adjustments that you had to make going from playing high school ball at a high level to playing college basketball? That's a good question. Um, Even a blind squirrel. <laughs> you know, maybe it was
3: not necessarily playing basketball, but I think it was, you know... Here's this freshman that's supposed to be so good and everything else, and all of a sudden I'm competing with the sophomores and juniors and seniors that have been there for a year or two years or three years, and how am I going to fit into this? And am I going to be accepted? And you know what are they going to think of me? And but uh, it all worked out well. I mean I was probably one of two. People that started as uh, freshmen for you, Jim.
1: I can't remember the other one who okay. did start. Rick Tice. Actually, yeah, yeah I, I think Rick Tice one might have. Yeah, because it is a big step from high school to college. If it's Division <laughs> One, two or three, makes no difference. Let me tell you just a very brief story. <clears throat> Pat McKenzie, senior, when uh, we have preseason workouts, guys will go down and just play five on five full court, and Pat was down there, and um, they're running up and down and. Frank is doing his thing, you know, scoring when he wants to score and the whole thing. And Mackenzie's pretty impressed. He said, "Hey, uh, fellow, he said, "You know, you keep working, you're going to be okay." <laughs> he didn't realize no, yeah. that Frank, you know, was uh, was as good as he was. And he looks back at it now and said, "Yeah, here I am saying, yeah, Frank, you know, you keep working at it, you're, you may make the team. You're going to be okay." Well, yeah.
0: yeah. He thought he thought Frank needed some encouragement. Yeah, he yeah. needed encouragement. You know? And of course, Frank yeah, being a one of the things pat
3: has said about that particular situation here's this guy with cut off jeans a ragged t-shirt converse tennis shoes on and some kind of weird hairdo and he's tipping in these basketballs left and right and dribbling and passing and scoring
2: he says Coach, I don't know where this guy came from. <laughs> but maybe we should yeah. all wear jean shorts. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's right. so true. <laughs> That's a, that, you know, that is really something that <laughs> if you weren't around at the time, it's hard to appreciate, right? So how talk, talk a little bit about that process then of getting acclimated, you know, and, and getting feeling like you're being supported uh, with – the upperclassmen when you come in as a freshman you know
3: i believe that year we had some kind of retreat yeah and it was like a two-day retreat and we had all the basketball players there and i mean it was a great idea where you know everybody got together and you got to meet all these individuals and bs with them talk with them um and it just brought so much unity To that particular group of players. And I think it just continued to carry on and on throughout the season.
2: You mentioned uh Terry Booth, right? Mark Lenz was another one. Uh, talk a little bit about them and because they were a couple years older.
1: Hmm. That's a good question. I think maybe. Terry was two. Two, I think. Yeah, Mark was one. Yeah.
3: You know, and uh You know great guys uh terry booth from was from milwaukee and
1: terry was a colorful player i think sounds like great teammates yeah and he was a very talented player yes yeah for what six four somewhere in that area um wide shoulders long reach that whole deal yeah yeah i think he got stronger and put on more weight as he went on um During his four years. Stronger. Yeah, he (laughs) got stronger.
3: (laughs) And a little bit about Terry. And it goes to one of my greatest moments at St. John's was we were playing St. Cloud State my sophomore year. And we were down by one point. And... Terry had the ball six, seven seconds to go, fed the ball into me at the low post, and I was covered. So I threw it out to Dave Phillips. He took a shot, hit the rim, and came out to Terry. And Terry started to make a drive toward the lane and got fouled with, like, two seconds to go. So he's shooting a one-on-one with two seconds to go, and I go up to him before he shoots the free throw, and I said, Terry, whatever you do, it's going to be right. So I line up on the right-hand side of the lane, which I normally do, and I was against Jim Berg from St. Cloud, and he was on my left-hand side. He throws up a free throw, hits the back of the rim, and I made a quick move inside tipped it up with one hand, and it never touched anything but the bottom <laughs> of the net. <laughs> and the whole place, it was just euphoric. I mean, uh, everybody came down on the floor, yeah. and, you know, yeah. for about 15 minutes, everything was just in a fog. You know, people hugging you and screaming <laughs> at you. Uh, yeah, that's so what I told Terry. No matter what you do,
0: it's going to be right. Wow, and that was a big rivalry, St. Yes. Cloud State. Very, very yeah. big rivalry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what a great way to finish. Played him twice every year. I think Noah Olson
1: was coaching at yes. that time. Yes, because he remembered that shot. He remembered your tip in f- till he died. Okay. I mean, he well, would and I think me he was
3: his... very happy after 1979 when I left St. John's.
1: Yes, <laughs> I'm sure he was did well
2: in those four years. Right? Did you say you played him twice? Yeah, usually
1: we always played him twice. Yeah. Well, you are the, probably the best post positioner I've ever seen. In Minnesota basketball, I don't think I've ever seen anybody who could position as well as you. I mean, once you got a guy on your hip, that was it. I mean, Hey, he was there, and he's not going to get around yet. Yeah,
3: and why it. don't they do that nowadays? Coach? I don't know. Well, there's only one <laughs> other
2: player that I've ever seen. Actually, another Johnny, Travis Weiss. Travis. Travis Swift. Weiss used to. Yeah. He shot literally sixty-two, sixty-five percent from the field because he'd catch the ball and turn around and. Yeah. Seventy-six
1: point six percent was that what it was? Yes. Still in okay. his NCAA season record, but again, coached by L. Bauman. Yeah, You know, there there it is. I mean, didn't get the coaching from me, the guy from Al.
3: (laughs) You know, and I didn't care which which hippie was on, whether it was my left one or my right one. I'm going
1: to the basket with this guy, you know? And even if he followed you, you're still going to score because you're strong enough to put it up.
0: Frank, if you could capture, you know, fundamentally, what did you do that made you so slick in that lane? Was Was there something that you were very intentional about in the way you positioned yourself for that first move to the hoop.
3: You know, and a little bit before that, um, I I know with uh, Pat McKenzie and John Patterson and Dan Smith, when they saw me coming across the lane, the ball was already coming to me. I mean, I didn't have to wait to get to the other side of the lane and set up and everything else, nine out of 10 times, when i start cutting across that lane, that ball would be in air. I would catch it and go to the basket with it. Well, you know, you're talking, you know, a second. And that second is the difference between, you know, making two points or having to come out all the way across the lane to get the ball.
1: Our offense was pretty simple. Uh, we used a double post. Three out, two in, and the post guys would rotate. And uh, Ted and Frank were, you know, worked together very well. If you got fronted, we could always go high and dump down. So it was simple but very effective. We only had about four or five plays. I mean, we didn't we didn't really do much, but we didn't have to. It was very simple, but very very effective. Well, I remember one
3: time Pat McKenzie was on the wing. He passed it into me, yeah. and I kind of looked around, passed it back. We did that three different times. And finally, on the third time, the guy was either on one side or another, and I took him to the hoop and scored. It was like three different times where we played catch. And on the third time, I had the guy on my hip, and I went to the basket.
1: It's a good combination of guys who can get the ball inside and the guy who is inside can position well enough and
0: be big enough to show a good target. And uh, once you do that, you're in pretty good shape. Well, like a, like a quarterback, right, throwing it up because he knows his receiver's going to get the ball. They, they put it in motion knowing you were going to come across the That's lane right. you were going to take it from whoever was trying to yeah, defend. Exactly.
2: Or in some cases, this is where you need to cut because mm-hmm. I'm going to put the ball out yeah. there. Right. This is where you're gonna be open, yeah. so you go know, get and it. And then a lot
3: of times if I got double team, we had one of the wings
2: open. Yes.
3: And Patterson and Smith and you know, McKinsey were all good shooters, mm-hmm. you know. They could knock down the two from outside.
0: Well, and Teddy wasn't a bad compliment underneath either, no, was he? Teddy
3: wasn't bad compliment yeah. E- either.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Teddy was quite good. How do you like to play post now with a three point shot? I mean, my gosh, that ball hardly ever goes inside. You know, it's just unbelievable. It's a different game now. It's um You'd have to I'm be not that sure
2: stretch four or stretch five or, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or the yeah. the dribble
3: drive, whatever they call it. And you know, it it just irks me to the state <laughs> where I mean, they got good people inside give them the ball, let them go inside, you know, but it's just dribble drive and, you know, we got to take that three pointer, you know, and, you know, all of a sudden the clock shot clock gets down there and they throw a bad pass to the wing or put up a bad shot when, you know, they got people that are very capable of scoring inside.
1: But even the big guys now go out and shoot the three-point shot. Exactly. I mean, just, yeah. You know, it is it is a real, real oh, different yeah. game of basketball. I We had lunch with uh, Bill Sexton the other day, and uh, Bill still holds our individual scoring record at 49. No three-point shot. <laughs> and I think most of his shots were from the three-point area. Yeah. We
0: kidded him and said, how many assists did you have? Oh, uh, well, not too many. <laughs> not you know. many. Put that ball up. Yeah, the, t- the total we scored that game were 55, and I had 49. Yeah.
1: I think What's they it? they t- looked at the
0: diagram at the uh, shot chart, and if, he,
1: if we had the three-point shot, he would have had like 62 points. Unbelievable. now
3: well, we should have talked about Billings a little bit more.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Where I got where my nose got, busted. Where got busted. you got busted up. You know uh, what? How we're rolling? Okay, you're on. Tell us a little bit about the Billings. So that was my fresh freshman year. We were five and old
3: going out on a Western Christmas trip to Billings, Montana,
1: Spokane. Gonzaga, and then Idaho State.
3: And Idaho State. That's a, a tough that's
0: under- a tough little circuit to hit there. all by bus
3: at least it didn't freeze out (laughs) that's true (laughs) Um, so we were playing billings montana well competitive game and uh cooper what was his first name dan cooper um we started jostling a little bit and stuff like that and you know he thinks he's a tough guy and I i think i'm a tough guy and you know i said you don't want to just lay off for a while you know So I'm going down for a layup and he's following me and I think he tried to undercut me and I just kind of pushed him away with my left hand, went up for the layup, made it, going back on defense, you know, running back toward the other basket. And as soon as I turned around, he gives me a forearm shiver in the nose, drops me right there, unconscious on the floor. I wake up, and there's a pool of blood around my head. And you want to take it from there?
1: Yeah, well, both teams came out, you know, on, on the court. And uh, Frank is laying there. And um, I talked to the official, and I said, hey, that guy's got to be thrown out of the game. The official said, no, no, can't throw him out, you know. And went over to the coach I said, hey, that guy doesn't get thrown out. We walk out of here. And um, they did get him out they took him out it was a cheap shot i mean it was ridiculous i think the guy was from new york wasn't he uh, he was from out east sort of a tough tough bird but um yeah so then you were taken to the hospital i think bob anderson wasn't he one of the guys one of our followers who had driven out to uh, billings to follow us and i think he took you to the hospital and they must have reset your nose no it was They'd
3: so swollen They could not reset it that night.
0: Mm, Yeah, so let's go back home after a few days and break it again. And I got my
3: first introduction to cocaine where they had like 5% liquid cocaine and they put uh, gauze inside of it and then shoved it up both nostrils.
2: Wow. Just to alleviate the pain. Where did Tim McNamara's picture come in on this?
1: I don't. know I, I he say he's got a picture of it somewhere. Well,
3: and then the following day, I have to go back to the hospital. And they grab some forceps and pull this gauze out of my nose. Going, oh my god, you know. Then they give me like four shots of Novocaine in each nostril, and if that didn't hurt, then they stick a wire or a metal bar up my nose, and you can just hear.
2: It. <coughs> <laughs> no wonder you wanted to talk
0: about yeah. it. Yeah,
3: still <laughs> I'm glad we didn't miss that <laughs> one. Well, so, and I didn't want to miss the next game. So I said, Coach, I need a goalie's mask. He goes, what? Yeah, I'm going to play if I can get a goalie's mask someplace. And how many places did we look to find a goalie's mask? And then we cut the um, mouth out. A little bit bigger, so I could at least breathe through it. But you know, the vision and stuff like that was just almost like putting blinders on a horse, because you really couldn't see that well
2: out of it. Well, that's so when the, did that's you get it reset? Was it this, the next day, or next was it? Day, yeah, okay. Got reset.
0: See, the picture we really need is the one with you in the goalie mask. <laughs> that would be the picture. And I wonder if we have one.
3: I have one in my scrapbook. Do from, you really? One of the newspapers
0: out there. Oh, that is that'd be a good one. That that would be a great one. Where was that in the rotation of games? Then was that the first? That was our first one. So you played the rest of the series. Then then
3: we played Gonzaga, which is oh yeah. Now, so you went NCAA one.
1: Then we went to Idaho. They were NCAA one also. Yeah,
0: and the the whole way in bus. Oh yeah. And, well, that's and, an and we had look. high hopes. I mean, we were Through five. Yeah, we
1: were five and zero at that time. Bad scheduling on the coach's part. <laughs> we well, played amb- some tough teams. Well, it we, was. We it never was, shied away. It was away. better
3: than it, going down to Loyola, <laughs> Chicago, and getting beat every single year to start <laughs> yeah. off the season zero and two. Yeah. Or that, was, that was that yeah. was Jim's favorite. And <laughs> he says, like, yeah. It builds character in you guys. It's going <laughs> to yeah. build character.
4: I, I said, got Co- Co- character. and I said,
3: Coach, we're all in two. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> Next season, on no place I'd rather be.
0: You know, you, you, you're such a humble guy. Does your son have any idea how good a ball player you were?
3: I don't think so. Yeah,
0: I would guess not. I don't think so.
3: And, you know, and that's been the whole kit and cabool where all my life I've been humble about basketball, you know, and... Even when I'm working at the bar, some guy will start talking about it, and I'll say, hey, that that was my brother. That was
1: doing."
4: (laughs) (laughs) This has been No Place I'd Rather Be, starring Coach Jim Smith, hosted by Tom Connell and John Russett, produced by Ryan Russett, Executive produced by Tom Connell and John Russett with TRJ Legacy Media. Music and engineering by Ryan Russett. Thank you to Frank Wachlerovitz for being so willing to share his time and memories. And thanks to Johnny Alums John Polad, Class of 87, with Hurdle Callahan and Company, and Steve Cummings, Class of 83, at Nova Consulting for the use of their beautiful facilities. And thanks to Ethan Whitrock at the university for setting us up for a day at the -the state-of-the-art studios on campus. And finally, thank you to Coach Jim Smith. It's been a pleasure. Please be sure to like, follow, rate, and review No Place I'd Rather Be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you go for your podcast needs. For more in-depth and featured content on each episode, visit our website at benchwarmersmedia.com. Be sure to join us next season as we wrap up the record-setting career of Frank Wachlerovitz and continue on with the next 15 to 20 years of Johnny Basketball with Coach Smith. Questions, comments, story ideas? Just want to say hi? We'd love to hear from you send a note to info at Benchwarmersmedia.com. No Place I'd Rather Be is a Benchwarmers Media production in association with TRJ Legacy Media. I'm Ryan Russett. Thanks for listening to Season 1. We'll see you next time.